0: Welcome to the first ever Conversations with My Future Skills, the podcast where I talk with interesting people about what skills we have and what skills we need to have to be present in the future. In this episode, I talked to Sophie Lechner. She's the founder of the Global Growth Experience. And over the last 15 years, she has built a large global network on LinkedIn that has led to speaking engagement in the US and abroad, but also to podcast invitations like this one and an interview in Forbes. She has created the LinkedIn Magnet Method to help entrepreneurs, coaches, and authors to grow their business by building meaningful relationships while staying aligned with their values and their personality at the same time. So, as you maybe can guess, we talk a lot about LinkedIn, but most importantly, we talk about connection and relationships and how the online world has opened up our world. We go into creating, establishing, and managing spaces off and online, and we go into the awareness of bubbles, the comfort of a setting a relationship takes place in, and its boundaries and guidelines. So I hope you enjoy the conversation just as much as I did. Here's Sophie on Connection. So I like to start off this conversation with the question, if you asked at a party,
1: what do you do all day? What do you answer then? Well, other than I haven't been to a party in a long time, but I would answer, um, I help entrepreneurs to... I have, you know, an elevator pitch, but now we're talking about a party. It's a little different. (laughs) So I help entrepreneurs to build relationships so that they can grow their business. I do that mostly on LinkedIn, using LinkedIn as a platform. So from there, we might have an interesting conversation, but that would be the opening.
0: (laughs) So if you talk about relationship building, we I think we're on the same page that social media is a big part of that. Many people, people would start off naming LinkedIn.
1: So why LinkedIn? Yeah. So, you know, it's funny a lot. When people talk about social media, you know, they include LinkedIn. And in my mind, I kind of don't. To me, when people say social media, it's, Facebook, TikTok, all those other things. And I'm not crazy about them. I don't use them much. Um, but LinkedIn to me is completely different because it's really where you can have real conversations. So it's it's not so much like for me, Facebook and the others are more like, you know, the water cooler conversation <laughs> that you might have. You might chit chat on the weekend with your friends. Um, And I know some people do business on those platforms, um, depending on your audience and what your business is. But for me, LinkedIn is where you can really have conversations with people Mm -hmm. and real conversations, Mm -hmm. build relationships. You know, I, maybe some people do. I've never built a relationship on Facebook. Like I use Facebook to chat with my friends, my family, people I already know, but I've never met new people through Facebook um, or build friendships through it. Whereas I have done that on LinkedIn. I've met a lot of people from all over the world. And that is my favorite thing to do in the world and my favorite thing to do on LinkedIn Mm -hmm. and what LinkedIn allows me to do. So, you know, you can travel all over the world and meet people and that is fantastic. Um, can you do that all day long, all year long, Eh, a little bit difficult because you have to earn a living at some point. Whereas with LinkedIn, you can do that. You can be meeting people from all over the world all the time. So that's why I love LinkedIn.
0: (laughs) So what would you say makes or breaks a relationship for you?
1: makes or breaks a relationship. Wow. So let's talk about makes. So when so the the way you get into relationships with LinkedIn, the way I like to do it is through through content, through posts and through people's comments and you know, seeing something you find interesting, you see somebody's comment and you're like, you know, that's a good point. And then you make a reply. So I would say what makes a relationship would be some similarities or views, or even if there are differences of views, it's appreciation for other people's um, points and perspectives, um, and a realization that there's a conversation to be had, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, beyond what's happening in that commenting. Um, So then, you know, you'll interact a little bit with the person, and that's what my whole method of teaching is, is all about. Um, you get into that conversation and then you invite the people to the person to connect. And then you suggest having a call. And then from there you have another call. And then before you know it, you either, either that's it, or you can build um, either a friendship or a business partnership or both. Um, So to me, that's what makes a relationship. Um, You said makes or breaks. So what breaks a relationship, that's a little bit beyond LinkedIn, you know, once you're in a relationship, but to me, that would be breach of trust. Um, It could be realization that there are some important, um, let's say principles of life, maybe where you differ very deeply, but even then that's not enough to, to, to break a relationship. Um, But, um, if there's a breach of trust, I think, um, yeah, to me that, that's what would break a relationship. Yeah. I think we're coming round to the party for
0: very quickly again. You talk a lot about inviting somebody to a conversation, um, inviting somebody to share their opinion, um, share their experiences, Mm -hmm. all the stuff that we do on parties that we also started doing a lot online. Um, and just when you said what, what breaks the relationship, the breaching of the trust, um, so my thought that I just had, um, that I'm trying to, to voice here, um, we're talking a lot about. Building a good relationship online, building a good connection online isn't possible. You need to meet somebody in person. Yeah. And along comes you saying, well, I meet people all over the world. I have made friends all over the world. I have had interesting conversations all over the world. Oh, yeah. Um, and also my experience is you can also breach trust online. So you can go through the whole connection circle, I want to say. Yeah.
1: Relationship Absolutely.
0: circle online as well, yeah. Um, still, there are differences online and IRL, as we call it so nicely now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sometimes I like which which words came out of us being online. So right,
1: yeah. More, so more. IRL, definitely one. <laughs> <laughs> In real life, yeah, yeah.
0: So would you say? Oh, no, let me let me ask that differently. What would you say is the difference, good or bad, between the online connections and in real life
1: meeting somebody yeah yeah, that's really interesting because um there are some differences. So first, I want to speak to the fact that you totally can have these relationships online, and I have so many. I already did much before COVID, but years ago, I um, was approached by someone to um, be an intern for me. And I wasn't, I hadn't publicized on LinkedIn that I needed an intern, but I did need one. And this person approached me and we talked on Zoom and I totally loved her approach. And she interned for me uh, for almost six months and I've never met her to this day. We've stayed in touch. We're, you know, we're exchanging messages. We've updated each other. She did an amazing job for me. So, you know, that was one thing that you wouldn't really necessarily expect. And she was in another country. Um, I've made friends. I have friends who I um, see several times a week. We have meetings. Uh, one of them, you know, we have a two-hour meeting every Saturday. Uh, I've taken her course, which was several hours a week, every week for months. Um, we chat, we tell each other all kinds of stuff, secret, not secret. You know, we share a lot. We've cried together. We've laughed together. We've, you know, we've never broken bread because we've never met in person, but she's one of my closest friends. So um, so that's that's really something that maybe some people don't quite realize, although with COVID, I think more and more people have realized that. But I have a sense that a lot of people are still staying very lonely and don't realize that you can have this entire life Mm -hmm. online. Um, There are differences. Um, The thing with in-person is that it incorporates all the senses, right? So you know, to, to, to talk about just one of them, the sense of smell, you never have that on LinkedIn. They're uh, on Zoom, you know, either on LinkedIn or on Zoom. <laughs> and um, so that's the difference between di- digital and in real life. Um, you don't have the, obviously, the physical sense. One thing that I found really funny in meeting people in real life that I had known online for so long, is you don't know people's height. <laughs> yes. That's one of the biggest funniest things I find is unless somebody mentions in a conversation as it turns out that they're tall or they're short, most of the time that doesn't come up in conversation, then you have this idea of someone and you think they're tall or they're short and then you're like, "Whoa, <laughs> they're not. <laughs> they're they're not what you expected." So, um so that's funny. But Beyond that, um, there's one big, big difference I have found and I've experienced is is with online relationships, there's a very finite time. You start and then you stop. You may have planned something to be a half hour and it ends up being two hours. Sure. But you're not going to be with them, you know hour upon hour upon hour over the meal and after the meal, and then, you know, maybe staying together, staying at their house, or, you know, if you meet someone in real life, you'll go to their house and then you'll, you'll be there at breakfast maybe. And then, and then their breakfast habits may be all weird and they get up at a different time. And then you discover all these other things about them that if you were just meeting in real life, it all comes as a package. Whereas now there's this dichotomy, like there's you online and you in real life. And I haven't had many occasions, opportunities to experience that, but I have had one. And um, it was a whole different relationship, as it turned out, than it was online. Just different, you know, not better, not worse, just very different than what one would expect. You know, so it's a, it's an interesting, you know, navigation that needs to happen to go from right one to the other, right. Ooh. So why is that important?
0: Knowing both sides of the, of the metal.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, you could have someone who you really enjoy, interacting with, in short bursts. Um but maybe not in longer bursts and you know, that's happened to me. There's one person, for example, I haven't met that many people in real life that I had made friends with in person in, in uh, online, but a couple, and there's one where it was seamless. You know, we met in real life, we were che- we had already like gone over time many times on, on Zoom, right? And so we knew there was just a million things and there were things we wanted to show each other and share together and go places we want to go to together. So we did all those things and it happened really seamlessly. And the person was really the same. It felt the same, except she was much shorter than I expected. <laughs> but um the relationship just evolved very naturally from one. You know, uh, context to to another. And then I have another one where mm, not so much. You know, I really enjoyed the relationship when it was finite within a Zoom box, but not so much in person because it was just too much of a good thing. (laughs) It didn't work out. So, yeah, it's really interesting. I
0: wonder. How do I say that? So you said we had the chance to break with expectations online, um, because we might be shorter than the person says. Or even if you say to me who who grew up with a, with a European metrical system. If you tell me you're five feet, I have no idea, you could be tall as as a tree or short as a dwarf. I have no idea about that. So, so even knowing stuff about it, doesn't give me a feeling about it. Yes. Um, but at the same time, I see a chance in that, um, because you're, well, yeah, actually breaking with the expectations, um, you're not, you're not even setting them up in a way. Um, And still, I feel that a lot of people are very reserved, to say the least, about making connection online. Mm. And they would rather say, let's meet in real life, no matter the cost or the distance, rather than having an hour Zoom meeting, Mm. for example.
1: Yeah. Where do you think that comes from? I think it's very much a shame. I think it comes from just not being open to trying something new. Um, And to me, COVID, you know, in spite of all the horrificness of it and all the things that happened to me was a blessing, Mm. partly um, because a lot of people around the world were kind of forced to try something different and i think a lot of people discovered um you know the beauty of this the beauty of being able to connect so easily with such different people um and to transcend those differences i'd love to come back to that um but i think some people are just resistant um probably because they just hang on to that belief and are not willing to you know, a part of developing a relationship is is being vulnerable and just opening yourself, right? So some people, I think, probably are unwilling to make that step online. Maybe they can have a business meeting, but you know, being open and frank about something or sharing something a little bit more personal or it is a step that's necessary in any relationship to go to the next level, right? And I think that just some people are not comfortable doing that. And I think
0: you said something very important with all the horrific stuff that came with COVID. That's what people try to focus on. They're not comfortable sitting in the both, and it can be horrific in one area, but it can also open doors in others. It can be both horrific and, in its own way, beautiful, or the chances that come out of yeah.
1: it can be beautiful at the same time. Yeah, I think a lot of people are just resisting. Yeah. The fact that we meet on zoom as a consequence of something horrific without, yeah, without separating it, uh, Mm -hmm. and being able to, yeah, to separate it. Yeah. I think you make a very good point. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, and we were talking about the differences and I think when you enter a relationship with someone on zoom, uh, not only are you do you have boundaries in terms of time, you also have and we talked about the boundaries the sensory boundaries right but you also have you have very little view into their context, so it could be their geographic context, their social context um You know, what strata of life they come from, what their, you know, spouse's nationality might be. So you see someone in a box and you can get a few clues from what's in the Zoom box, but, you know, a lot of people either blank that out or they don't have that. So you don't have this immediate rush of information that you have when you meet a person in real life. Mm meet a person in real life, they have a certain way of dressing. They have a certain, they arrive in a certain car. They behave in a certain way. There's all kinds of little clues that we have that open the door for us to have certain biases. And I think, um, the beauty of Zoom and and limitation, you know, both, is we don't have that. And so you can interact with that person and you have that open conversation and you don't have any of that context unless it's brought in by something they show you, something they tell you, or maybe they broaden, maybe they move their camera, whatever, right? Um, so I think it allows you to have a much more pure relationship um i don't know if word pure is the best but you know more yeah i'll use that that's all i can think of for now so um and then the context is brought to you afterwards as you deepen the relationship and then when you bring it into real life then it really comes you know really comes in and and then it's interesting sometimes to kind of um receive those biases which are unconscious for us most of the time right and then you kind of receive them and you you have this sort of slight dissonance that can be interesting to explore um i find that all fascinating
0: <laughs> and which comes back to
1: to the base end
0: where suddenly we're confronted with what we thought of that person and what that person acts out to be in real life like our our online picture of that person and our yeah and and sometimes they clash, Yeah. Sometimes they don't make
1: sense to us. Sometimes they don't yeah. match up. Exactly. Um, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So I think there's a good chance of a relationship having developed online to translate into real life, but um, it's important to realize that it might not and there's so many other things that come into play that will add to the relationship and take it down one path or another. And then there could even be some adjustments, you know, that you make the person makes or whatever. And then, and then the relationship can, can flourish. Right. So maybe you just say, you know, this is an online friend who's going to stay an online friend, right? or this is an online friend who's not going to be a friend anymore. <laughs> just, you know, it's like in real life, they they take their own path, but it's a big crossroads when you go from one to the other.
0: It is, it is. And I think it's something like and every relationship has a natural flow, I want to say. It goes through different phases. And I'd like to, to picture it and envision it as, especially now with the two years where we've mostly done online, being one phase of the friendship, yeah. Um, and even within real life friendships, we know that or relationships in general, some evolve and some evolve into different paths. Yeah. Um. Because we learn something different, because we experience something differently, and and at mm-hmm. some point, maybe the other person w- doesn't align with us anymore. Um, yeah. Or we don't align with the other person. Both sides. It's, mm-hmm. it's, oh, the yeah. nature of a relationship two
1: sided yeah exactly um, yeah yeah and you know i've known <clears throat> people who because of covid they started having you know family calls you know so once a week they'd start having a family call and then all of a sudden all the relationships inside of that family unit or broadened family unit just took off and, 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 and really got, they got much closer to family members they, they knew before, you know, so that's a a whole other, um, dimension of this whole contrast, uh, that is interesting as well, right? It is. I'm just thinking of
0: mobility. In the future, we will move more, we will be around the world more because we have the options to. And a lot of the times, this is where you lose connection because you're physically not in the same space anymore. Um, So I see a chance there with the tools that we have now and with the fami- familiarity that we all gained with online meetings and online connection building now to actually keep these relationships going. Um, but what would you say is kind of the free requisitive for that? What does it need
1: to work? To, so to keep a relationship strong when you're initially close physically, but then you're going to, it's going to be, so to go from real life to online, um, I think a willingness to explore a new facet of the relationship, a new way of being, um, if you have that, that, um, openness and, and the willingness to change your habits, you know, some people just don't, um, like to change their habits um for example when you if you want to have this online interactions you pretty much have to schedule them there's not really that many other ways yes you can do a whatsapp call video call or phone call just plain old phone call right um yeah and some people do do that a lot but for the most part you're going to have to have a certain system you're gonna have to some way and the willingness to go through that slight change in how you interact is important and some people just might not be willing to do that right um i had a friend um i have a friend a very close friend someone who i had a lot of interactions with and uh, for different things um before covid and <clears throat> we had already noticed <clears throat> over time that when i traveled or when she traveled or when for whatever reason we couldn't meet there was always a bit of a distancing between us that happened we tried to do zoom calls we tried to do phone calls it didn't really work for whatever reason it just didn't seem to 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 jive um so that was fine because we would just have a longer get together after, you know, three weeks and and catch up and get back to that nice connection. And then during COVID, that was a killer for our relationship. We, we, it would just, it just, it it almost died because neither one of us, we knew that the, the digital just didn't work for us. So, we actually didn't talk for many, many, many months. And I thought, wow, this relationship is dead, it seems, dead in the water. It's, it was so sad. And we tried. We tried a few times. It just didn't work out. And um, after a long time, we, we finally made steps toward each other and said, you know, it's a shame we've, we've lost this. Let's just restart it. And we've successfully restarted our relationship, our friendship. And now it's just different. And because we haven't had it for so long, we were just, you know, reveling in having a connection again. So it, yeah, it's not always easy. It's not always easy to change how a relationship is going to, to go. Yeah.
0: I think you touched also on an interesting point there, how much contact how much, how much connection and which base of time does the relationship need? Um, I made a similar yet different experience. We, with a friend, um, very dear friend, but we meet once every half year and that's fine for us. Then we, we sit together and have a coffee for hours after hours after hours. And then we just chat in between like, you fine. Yeah. Okay. See you in half a year, something like that. And during COVID, we saw okay, might be easier, uh, might be a good thing to check in more often. Also because of what was going on, checking in with your friends. Um, And actually, we found out that the more regular we had contact, that also influenced our relationship because if we reach a point where we have nothing to say to each other, quote unquote. Yeah. But we reached it way quicker than we're used to. We're used to sitting together for hours after hours, having just an hour or even half an hour, a check-in seems weird. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So, so is there, or or what would you say? Not necessarily in a number, um, but how much contact does a relationship need?
1: Oh my God, (laughs) what a question. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah, I've often thought about that because I have a friend who is really close with her sisters and they're in different countries and they talk to each other on the phone on once a week on Saturday mornings and they talk and they talk and talk on the phone like about nothing in particular they're just spending hours upon hours on the phone together and i find that so strange <laughs> um i could never do that right so first of all i don't like the phone but um <clears throat> yeah so i see what you mean i do i have friends i wouldn't consider them like close 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 friends but yeah who i only see them every couple of months and if i were to see them more often yeah I know what you mean like there's not that much to say um but i think that the the frequency is really not necessarily related to the depth you know um i could see having i mean and and i have old friends from like way way back uh when i was a student they're in europe i'm here in the u.s and we don't even talk to each other every half year. Like but when we talk it's like ah, just pick up catch up with all the stuff and then pick up where we left off and I don't think we would ever have nothing to say to each other. Um but it doesn't require that closeness, that that frequency, I mean. Right. Um Yeah, yeah I think there's no formula. It all depends. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, there's, yeah, it just, and you know, there's also even outside of frequency and closeness physically, all, all relationships are so, so, so different, right? There's friendships where you can just be whoever you are, say whatever the hell comes into your head and it's all fine. And then others where you have to watch what you say and be a lot more careful and not hurt the person's feelings. So you've got to kind of strategize a little bit. So that will come into play as well, right? So very, very different. Yeah. Which comes back to, to the trust
0: um, in a relationship and maybe now that we're talking about it, maybe that is what gives some people comfort and some people not in the online meeting world, it's exactly that, the comfort, um, how well do you feel? Not just with the person you're talking to, but also with the surrounding. Cause well, if you're in a, in an online meeting, whatever happens, happens on that 13 or 15 inch screen, however big that might be and everything behind that doesn't really change so also all the connections that we have happen in the same room
1: yeah we don't want that yeah so so there has to be yes you have to sort of consciously think about the boundary so to speak almost like a little bubble around the person who's you have on your screen. Right. Right. And you know, so it feels like there's this bubble within which you're interacting, but in reality, no, there's the rest of their life. They can get into a bubble with someone else, you know, and get into a conversation, talk about you and betray your secrets. Right. So it's an artificial bubble, but that's, that's true in real life as well. Um, But I think what one thing that's interesting is that, and I've noticed this phenomenon, is the creation of these communities, these online communities, with people from all kinds of different places and different contexts. And when you have a group of people together, because it's necessary to determine certain I'm going to call them rules, but they could be, you know, guidelines or whatever. Um, There can be more trust that evolves within those settings than would in a one-on-one. Because in a one-on-one, you know, am I going to say to you, well, Saskia, okay, of course, this is different because it's a recording and it's going to be online. But if we were to just chat, I wouldn't say to you, well, you know, um, you know, be sure that you don't share what you, what we say together, um, with someone else. I mean, we might say, it, but it'd be a little awkward. Like it would, it, I would assume that's natural, but on the, at the same time, you wouldn't say it, but would you believe it? Right. So would you necessarily believe it? And I think that's where some of the resistance comes from people. So. I'm noticing in these communities, because there's several people and you wanna have certain interactions, you wanna establish what the group is going to do, then you start to put these guidelines together and, or sharing them. And I feel that creates these spaces of very, very high trust and comfort and ability to be vulnerable in that you wouldn't necessarily have, that's at least my experience, in a one-on-one. Yes. And I find that fascinating. Um, these groups that I think there's one of us that we both belong to, but some of these groups that I, I'm in, I, I will find myself saying things that I would never share with one other person. And here I am sharing it with several people who I don't know, right? But I have this trust. Right. It's been established and um, Yeah.
0: I think where that comes from is because of the online character in a lot of these communities, they're forced to make things explicit right. that we normally
1: implicitly assume. Assume, uh, but at the same time, don't necessarily believe in, right? Yes, true. Yeah. Yes. Want to assume, but don't actually assume. And so ambiguity, lack of comfort. Yeah. Yeah. It's like...
0: Be a decent human being in a way, if you, if you want to boil it down, you read that in a lot of these guidelines Mm -hmm. in general, please be a decent human being. Mm -hmm. We would never say that in a one-on-one meeting or in a, in a, in a boardroom, how, however that might look like that's just the thing we assume everybody can agree on. But mm-hmm. because we assume we don't put the boundaries on it, and we don't put the guidelines on it, and we don't basically we don't level the playing field. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But in these online communities, what happens a lot is the the awareness that we have to talk about some of these things that we tend to look away from. That mm-hmm. at least at the beginning we have to state what we want, why we want it, and how that affects others. And there's a very great understanding, I I have to agree with you there, there's a very great understanding of how to do that in these online communities, Mm -hmm. Um, which for me personally, my opinion on that is makes the relationship building part even easier because you have already agreed on a general baseline of how we want to interact with each other, how we want to treat each other, which mostly is with respect. And we don't want to harm anybody, which just by the nature of having it stated somewhere and having it laid out as the basis, as the foundation of this whole community mm-hmm. builds trust Yeah, um, and yeah. builds exactly. the, at least the framework for a safe space in which you could be vulnerable. If you are, is it's is, is your decision in the end, but it at least that's the, the framework for that space. Um, yeah.
1: Yeah, and I love this word of space that has sort of become, it has been created, I think. I don't, I don't, I, it existed before, but I guess we're all a lot using that word of, you know, this is a safe space. So you yes. have, you know, a bunch of people on your screen, like this is a safe space and and it can be. Um, and I think the other thing that it does is, yes, some of these rules are the same as you say, you know, respect and confidentiality and things like that. But there can also be, certain little rules of how you interact you know do you put yourself on mute or not do you raise your hand you know all those little things and um i think what it does is also that it 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 puts out there what people's values are and sharing your values is something that i think can create a lot of trust and it's interesting you know as we're discussing this it comes to my mind that the benefits of this could be um expanded to other relationships. Um it could be it could be um you know something that we like a best practice of interactions with people. It could be something that you um send to someone before you have a a meeting. Mm -hmm. You know, might be a little weird in the beginning, but what would that do, I wonder to um, the interaction, you know, when you, when you, I'm just thinking out loud here. Um,
0: I actually think it would make like, I'm, I'm thinking of a typical situation, a meeting in a company, for example, a lot of people finally meet in real life, um, and just setting out the expectations towards a meeting and not at the expectations on the outcome. Please show up in this or that state of being. Uh, I think that can level out a few of the vote bumps that we normally run into in meetings, and I think we, we experienced something when we've all been working online um, about participation, that participation doesn't always have to be the one screaming the loudest in the room, that participation can have many different forms. For example, the chat allowed us to participate if we don't get a word.
1: Um, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: And I think just setting up these these towards a meeting and purposely and and actively thinking about stuff like that can actually enhance our online uh, our in- life meetings because we show up differently in them just as we showed up differently in online meetings. Um,
1: Yeah. 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 That's a good point. Um, when the, when the, uh, you know, COVID started and there was a whole huge conversation around meeting remotely. Um, I I was at the time I was doing, um, cross-cultural training and, you know, how to have meetings with people from different cultures. I mean, <laughs> that's a huge topic, right? And I have a friend who, um, was, uh, a consultant on how to help companies, um, have people work remotely. So of course her business will, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and mine too at the time. And so we, we started having, we, we did a few presentations on, the complexities of remote work and the complexities of cross-cultural work. And when you bring them together, you know, how how the, the problems that can occur and, you know, some tips and things and things like that. And uh, and that was just fascinating work, fascinating work, you know, the complexities and all the different solutions that we brainstormed and come, came up with um, in terms of getting people involved, because yes, there are n- a million different ways of leading a meeting, um, of having relationships, you know, inside a meeting, before a meeting, after a meeting. I mean, it was just so fascinating to 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 discuss this and and ask other people how they, you know, how they experience that, and yeah.
0: Which brings up an interesting question: Would you say? Well, no, let me say differently. We always talk about cultures, company cultures. It's that Mm -hmm. one thing, a company culture, our culture is this or that. Will you say there are different company cultures within one company in real life and online?
1: Oh, absolutely. There's, I always say there's, there's, there's the big culture and then there's cultures within cultures and the smallest unit of culture is a single person. So we all have a different culture and it comes from so many different influences, right? Um, Which by the way, are ingrained in us by the age of seven. (laughs) It can evolve beyond that, but pretty much it's it's written in stone pretty much by that point. Um, So yes, there are many different cultures. And then with remote, there's a whole other culture that has to be learned that has to be shaped if you are a good leader you shape it you don't just let it evolve uh, naturally but it will have its own its own life and you need to you know shepherd it like a relationship you really do yeah there's many different cultures
0: so how would you shape an online
1: culture it starts with um you know, listening to everybody and, and just being aware of all the different people's own cultures and differences, and then deciding um and in parallel, sort of deciding what you want the culture to be, and then creating those spaces and those communications to um to establish that, sort of like what we were saying about communities, you know, here are the rules. Um and then living by those rules. So, you know, if you say people can only, if you have a big, big audience, a big meeting, a lot of people, you have to have some order, right? With, mm-hmm. with Zoom, you can't all talk at the same time. It's just more chaotic than real life. So, um, you know, if you say the rule is you have to raise your electronic hand before speaking, then you have to uphold that everything else within that culture that you've determined you have to lead by example and and make sure that um that it's being respected and you know um followed by everybody so
0: it is a harder I experience to keep up an online culture and to enforce it because in a room you normally find naturally evolving dynamics that can enforce Mm -hmm. the behavior that you set. Online, it is a bit harder. It's like a flash mob is always easier done in real life than online. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Kind of the same dynamics.
1: Yeah, I think it might be easier. It might also be easier online than in real life because there's more set parameters, so I don't know. I think it could go either way.
0: So if you could wish for something, how would the combination of the two look like?
1: Goodness, yes. I um, That would very much depend on what your personal preference is. Because for me and for a lot of other people like me, I mean, people have often said, you know, for introverts, COVID was a godsend. because, you know, given a choice, people like me would rather have Zoom conversations than go to a party. Um, Extroverts would rather go to a party than have Zoom conversations. So um, your balance, your mix of in real life and, and online is going to be very different, your preference for that mix. But at the end of the day, it's going to be a mix. And um, <clears throat> let's be honest, it was a mix before, right? Before COVID. Right. It just um, changed the mix entirely for many people for a long time. And now everybody's going to have to find their own their own balance of what they prefer. And I think that's what that whole conversation is around with remote, uh, you know, going back to the office. So there's all these dynamics at play. You have the leader who may or may not have completely adopted the remote working trust, right? That may not have acquired that trust or may have had bad or whatever. So you have the leader's preference and then you have all the workers' preference. And, and I think that's what's happening is that each person is still very much in the Personal research process of figuring out what that balance is. And it might be different from week to week, but um, there's sort of a choice. And I don't know that people are necessarily sort of thinking of that in a very mindful and purposeful way. So they're establishing this new balance without like <laughs> carefully thinking about it, right? right? So there's that complicated with the boss probably hasn't also determined their own preference or they may have, and they're trying to impose it. And then you've got to adjust everybody's preferences together and make them work together. So it's very complicated. I'm I'm glad I'm not a team leader in a company these days because it was hard and difficult before, but forget about now. Yeah.
0: Although again, I think it has to do something with the safe space, because if you're talking about these different preferences, a lot of people don't know what their preference is. They've never been asked to let alone allowed to think about that, talk about that. It was always that set up system. This is our company. You fit in or here's the door and you can look for another job. And suddenly these conversations pop up. How do we want to work? Why do we want to work? All of these these very personal questions. Um, And people who never experienced that safe space in a company are suddenly asked to give their opinion on something. Like, Mm -hmm. how do you want to work? Yeah. And they have to experience, is this a safe space now or not? Can I voice my opinion without being reprimanded or, or fear of, of percussions. So how do we create those safe spaces where we can have those discussions? Um, and I think that's also part of the culture, um, a discussion that has to be held in, in that whole culture debate. How do we create those safe spaces? Um.
1: Yeah, yeah. And it's fascinating to see how um, cultures will um, impact the, not only the content of the debates, but the extent to which there is a debate. Right. Because in some cultures, the boss says, okay, we're going back to the office. And that's that. Uh, And in other cultures, I know the US culture is very, very, very much predicated on people having their own choice. For example, in France or Germany or some other European countries, you have a diagnosis of a disease and you ask your doctor, what should I do? And they tell you, you should have surgery. And so you schedule the surgery and you go for surgery, right? More or less, that's what happens. In the US, the doctor will tell you, well, there's surgery, there's this, there's chemotherapy, there's that, there's that. And they're not going to tell you, they're not going to give you a recommendation. They're going to let you make your own choice and the patient has to make a choice. So there is a culture of being given a choice. Um, but at the same time, there are a lot of situations where there wasn't a choice before and there's a choice now. Um, and some people just don't know how to deal with that. <clears throat> Yeah, so making a decision. And I think that that's one of the other blessings of uh, COVID, again, not saying it was a good thing, but um, that it really shook up a lot of tightly held beliefs for a lot of people. So, you know, as you were saying exactly, like, okay, so how do I want to work? And all of a sudden you're questioning certain things um, why do I want to work? Do I want to work this way? Do I want to work that way? Do I want to work here or there? That's why you have this huge migration. You have so many people becoming, you know, corporate nomads, (laughs) um, working from, you know, different places because after working for how many months from your own home, all of a sudden you realize, well, I could go to a different country, you know, presuming the time difference is not too huge <laughs> and it would really not make no difference. And all of a sudden you're like, well, wait, why am I paying this rent? You know, why, why am I paying these huge, I may as well do it from there. So I, I love the fact that so many people had to put back on the table, a lot of things that were just givens taken right. for granted. And, you know, and then when you read, when you, when you put something on the table, and rethink about it. Then all of a sudden, you're like, "Well, what about this other thing? And what about this other thing?" <laughs> I have a friend who's a, a divorce lawyer. She says, "Well, business has been booming for the last two years." <laughs> Which you know, that was one of the first things that you know I'm sure many of us thought about is, "Oh, oh, this is going to cause divorces, <laughs> right?" Being so close to to your loved one all exactly. the time, right? Yeah. So, so yeah. So, you know, do I want to work from here or from there? Do I want to work in this way or that way? Do I want to still live with this person or not? You know, (laughs) so not saying that that's good, but, but it is good that it's made people more intentional in their life. Um, on the other hand, back to what we were saying about the willingness to try a relationship in a different way. I think it has enormously created a gap, an enormous gap between those who were willing and okay to question and those who just don't have that psychological safety within themselves and, and, <laughs> and confidence to be able to question or whose circumstances did not allow them to question. Um, and then so so, where some people have been empowered by the circumstances to become to get a lot more agency on their life, um the contrast between that and people who really, really were victimized because they for whatever reason were not able to take that agency um i think has you know there's the gap between rich and not rich, and I think this is a gap that has hugely increased in society. And I also want
0: to say that this is one reason for that. There are many reasons for that. That is a complex um, problem that you can't solve with one solution. But one of the things that I see that influencing is the overvaluation of that agency. Um, Mm -hmm. and what I mean by that is, well, being given that agency also comes with responsibilities, it's not just like, here's the golden plate and you take it. There always comes responsibility with it. Um, and I also see people just looking at the good sides of it and, and completely ignore ignoring the responsibility that comes with it. And one part or one thing that influences is the gap because it kind of separates us from the problems around us because we can more easily ignore them. Like mm. take a homeless person. Maybe when I walk to the office every day, I passed him. Now I'm sitting at home. I like that. I don't have to commute, but also I'm not passing that person anymore. Mm. And. Because of that, I might even not be aware of what else is going to happen. What else is going out there? Um, I I can easily find my bubble again. we talked about that before. If you talk about filter bubbles now and news bubbles now, this can actually have a negative effect on the whole. It might have a personal good effect for you. Um. But in the in the bigger scheme, I want to say, the biggest theme of things, you're deciding to look away from things then.
1: Yeah, 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 you're absolutely right. I think it really can isolate, can isolate yourself yeah. and it isolates people. And, and also there's the danger of um, people assuming that everybody else has gone through the same journey. Right. Um, you know, I have agency, I'm doing it this way. I've moved out and I'm working from home. Um and I'm I could assume or pretend to assume or consciously or not that everybody else has as well.
0: Why don't they do this or that? Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, you're right. It it has it has contributed to isolation, of course, at the first degree. We're all stuck at home, so that's isolation. But you're right, it has a much greater um um there's layers of isolation and, and I think, you know, back to our beginning question about social media, um, social media was kind of the only way for us to connect with people. Yes, of course, zoom and phone, but um, social media use increased tremendously during COVID and pains me to say, but social media can, it, it, it helps to make connections between people, but it also helps to isolate, yes. it causes isolation. And exactly as you were saying, yes, isolation in thought processes. And all, we've seen in the last few years what that does. So but you don't even notice the isolation because you're still
0: yeah. in a group. You're still together yeah. with other people who are like-minded. Yeah. Um, so you don't experience it as that typical isolation. Yeah. You feel enforced because exactly. there's many people who think or believe the same.
1: Yeah. 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 And you exactly, you can get to ignore more and more and not be exposed to and then gradually forget um, right. the other groups. And I think that's what happened when, when you know, um, not to get political, but in 2016, I think that's what happened. A lot of us just did not did not realize what was happening with the elections because there were so many people we did not realize had evolved their thinking in a different way from us, hmm. and then we didn't know that was they were there, so oh, you know, something different than what we expected um, but that's yeah, I, I think that's that's you're absolutely right. Interesting stuff.
0: It is. It is. I'm. I'm. My head's uh, turning around how we actually started with inviting others to the conversation and to invite them to real conversations.
1: Yeah. Um. Deep conversations. Yeah. Um. Yeah. And you know. Um. You know. To to the topic of what you talk about, right, Um, conversations with your future skills, really building conversations and inviting conversations, entering conversations, managing conversations, really, really is going to be such an important skill. And and as we've, you know, sort of pointed to in our conversation, it's... the ability, the willingness, the willingness to have conversations that are beyond what we would normally Mm -hmm. want to have is going to be really, really important. And it's so much more comfortable. Even I, you know, wasn't really thinking about this so much before we started talking, but, you know, I love going on LinkedIn, as I was saying, and, you know, starting conversations with people. And I said... How do you build relationships? Well, you know, similarity of views and bam, there you are. That's the starting point. We need to not just do that. We need to also seek out different views and not, and, and, you know, the algorithms are not helping us here. They're, they're doing all kinds of things, you know, there's issues with that, but it's also on us. You know, it's, 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 we can't just like blame, you know, um, what's his name? (laughs) Uh, You know, the, the people at the head of the, of the, of the platforms. Um, it's also on us to go and have conversation and it's hard. Sometimes a lot of people are not, you know, willing to have conversations. And I think again, in the last few years, I would say in the last eight, 10 years, I find that there's a reduction in real conversations, real meaning with people you don't agree with. Um, I remember a time when you could have political conversations. It didn't mean conflict. You were just exchanging views and chatting. And, you know, what about this? What about that? No, 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 not this, not that. You know, like you could have conversations about different politics at the dinner table. Yes. And then gradually I maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like that's been so polarized that it's gone away a lot of times. I don't I don't hear I mean, granted I'm not gone to a lot of parties lately, but (laughs) I don't hear, you know, those kinds of conversations as much. I think you touched on an interesting point there
0: when you said we also need to manage those conversations and at the same time a lot of the time we let algorithms manage our conversations um not just the typical showing us our own beliefs with whatever shows up in the feed as what we like um but also banning uh, comments or, um, not even allowing them to be posted in the first place. And I'm, I'm a bit too folded there because of course it is good in some points, um, of course it is good that hate speech isn't allowed on online platforms, again, creating a safe space for everybody. But at the same time, I, I just read in a book, an interesting example. Um, the terms fuck you and fuck yeah have completely different meanings. they completely different feelings. Yeah. But just because the first word is the same and can be used in a bad situation, that is filtered out. Um, yeah. So the context is missing. So we're also allowing artificial systems to, um, to judge the context for us, which then again leads to the fact that we're not having conversations, um, um cause the context is already f- set. And if something doesn't fit in that context, it doesn't happen, um, which is part of a conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, so yeah it, managing the conversations or having them being managed.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And Indeed. that opened a whole other conversation about <laughs> yeah. AI and sure. how AI is being, you know, built and by who and how. <laughs> That's something <laughs> for the next <laughs> rules. Yes. <laughs> yes, definitely. It's uh it's important. Having diversity in that in that management. Um yeah, yeah. So all of that also leads us to the topic of education. All of these things, you know, which skills, um, all of these um, conversations and all these principles and all these ways of managing all this need to be taught to people early, 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 early when they're kids. And... um that is not the case yet. I don't feel. If
0: you were the minister of education, what would you put on the table? Oh my God, the questions
1: Thank you drop on me like a bomb. <laughs> <laughs> well, I would certainly change a lot of things. <laughs> Jeez, I will. Oh my God, yes, I would change a lot of things. So, one thing, of course, budget being no object, right? Um. I would have small small classes with more teachers, so that's one thing. Um, I would take them out of the classes; they wouldn't be in classes. They would be out there in the world, you know, learning math where it matters. You know, where you're counting something that's important, <laughs> um, and um, and all those skills would be, I think, primarily taught you know math yes you would learn the principles of it and but not necessarily practicing 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 when you know you're going to grow up with a calculator in your pocket so you know yeah doing some math is good but um learning how to use a calculator (laughs) would be more useful you know as a metaphor for the rest of the of the teaching um but yeah it would really be a lot more around interpersonal skills and Mm. and all these things about openness you know openness to difference um eliciting different opinions looking at something from all kinds of viewpoints um yeah being exposed to people who live extremely differently um schools would 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 travel, you know, they would go all over and see. I would have kids at a very young age meeting with their counterparts in India, in China, in can you imagine how life would be different? <laughs> you know, yeah, that those are some of the things that I would do.
0: I just recently learned of a concept um that they tried to establish in Denmark and the Netherlands, I think, um, and they call it the human library. So what they do is they meet in public places, a library or the cafe that's attached Mm -hmm. to a library and, um, you can lend quote unquote people instead of books, um, and you can have time with them and you can sit together and exchange and learn about their life realities and they're, um, willing to share
1: their stories. Yeah. which I find a beautiful idea. Oh I, um, I, that, That's fantastic. Yeah, that's the other thing that I would put my classes in my teachings, whatever, I mean, education is, is intergenerational. Yes. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, having people from all kinds of generations. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I love that concept. I, I You know, yeah, we should have that everywhere. <laughs> <laughs>
0: It comes up a lot, the topic of diversity, but it also influences so much Um, because a lot of the problems that we run into in the business world today is because people basically mirror each other. It's not even hard for them because if you have the same, like take a company that had three CEO over the range of five years and... They all look the same. They all wear the same. They all have the same education. They all speak Mm. the same language. The only thing that differentiates them is their first name. You won't get much new ideas. Um, you will keep repeating the same thing ever and ever and ever again. Um, Yeah. When, yeah, when you're. Focusing on the topic of diversity and not just on the paper, not just for the marketing label, but really encompassing it, talking to the other person, experiencing what their life's about, having a conversation with them, building a connection with them um, and changing you know, in the end, your own worldview to the better, to a more open, to a more inclusive worldview, yeah, I can't see that that does any harm to anybody,
1: yeah, and I think that's why if we were if we were to expose our young ones as early as possible to other ways um that would that would become sort of a by default way of thinking yes. it would be like, well, there's all these other ways um. I had a, I have not been exposed to the African culture much, but I had a nanny for a while who's from the Ivory Coast. And she told me, I learned a few things um, from her that I thought were fascinating. She said, you know, when people have a baby, um, first of all, you have these big family units, right? But it's very common to send your baby to spend a year with an aunt. I'm like, what, what? And then you you know, you swap babies and all that and I find that fascinating because you your your baby is going to grow up, you know, with with more variety in how they're dealt with and the things that they that they encounter and I, I remember that it really struck me at the time because it's so foreign to the way we would do it, right? Like you don't want right. to let go your baby for two days, let alone a month. <laughs> <laughs> so, but yeah, I think, um, yeah, travel. And so, and so, you know, back again to this like real life versus online, yes, traveling all over the world and, you know, having class you know kindergarten classes traveling to another country it sounds great on paper in reality that might be a little complicated um, and I still think that would be great to do but meanwhile you can also do a lot of that online you can have at least a little bit of it um you know if you had I don't know when I was a kid there was this concept of pen pen pal oh that still exists but having You know, someone have a friend in, you know, five different countries and you have a call with them once a week, once a month. I don't know. It's not that much to set up, right? And look at what it would do for kids, for their families. You could have families meet. I mean, there's so many things we could do. (laughs) You're
0: completely right. Because again, culture isn't made in a country. Culture is made by people. So of course, that culture might exponentially rise with several people having the same understanding of that culture, but you can at least tip a toe into it um, mm-hmm. you can
1: get at least get a feeling of it, mm-hmm. um, yeah, and that's a Just, beautiful thing, yeah, I always you know when when bringing in cultural training the the first first piece of it. Always, always, and the most important one, and there's still a lot of work after that, but the first one is awareness. Just being aware that there is a different way. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, all of a sudden you have this view on yourself, your own way of doing something, which before you weren't even thinking about, right? That already is huge, huge, huge. Yeah. If that was even the only thing we accomplished, that would that would that would change the world. Yeah, that really would. And back to LinkedIn, I love the fact that when you are interacting with people and you read their content where you you know, you meet someone on LinkedIn you'd never known before and you start reading their content. And you start seeing these things, you start learning about what's happened in their life or what they're doing at work, what they're thinking, how, you know, how they're dealing with a problem and you're like, wow, that's so different than what I would do. So you get a window, we were talking about that the other day, really a window into the world. Uh, There's a lot more we could do, but for now, having that and opening that window and, you know, plunging into the diversity of the world is something we can do with LinkedIn that I feel we can't do it any other way. That is a wonderful
0: um, thing to end with, I would say. <laughs> um, I love that, that picture of the open window into the world and into the diversity that's out there, the, the diversity of mind that's out there. Because also when you read the comments, you don't see the gender, the color, the sexual orientation, the height (laughs) of the person, if you don't focus on it, you don't see, you're reading the comment and you're taking it in and then you might think, oh, who who wrote it? Um, And a lot of the biases are falling because you don't have a space to set them up in the first place. Yep. I yep. like that. It was a very wonderful conversation
1: I had with you. I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it too. Yeah, we went all over the place and that was so fun. Yeah, thank you.
0: Thank you. Thank you for being here, for sharing yourself, sharing your ideas and uh, your skill. You. Um, she has much more other skills that are very um very um extraordinary so um yeah if people want to reach out to you and experience those skills where can they do that
1: well they can reach me on linkedin that would be my preferred way so you can invite me to connect the more connections i have all over the world the better uh so my name is sophie s-o-p-h-i-e lechner l-e-c-h-n-e-r And if you type that up in LinkedIn, you will find me. Um, And yeah, I think that's the the best way to reach me. And there's a lot of content on my LinkedIn profile and all kinds of stuff you can find out about me and connect. And I will be delighted to connect and have a conversation. (laughs) I hope uh, we inspire a lot of them here. (laughs) Yes, yes.
0: So again, thanks you for uh, thanks very much for being here, um, for sharing yourself, and um, I'm very glad to talk to you again soon. And I hope uh, yes. you have wonderful conversations with whatever uh, comes out of that. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much, Saskia, for inviting me to this conversation. I really you're love most love. welcome. Thank you. Okay. Bye. Bye. Thanks for being a part of this conversation with my future skills. The show is hosted and produced by me, Saskia Listler. Music for the show is by Music Unlimited. If you want to find out more or hear previous episodes, you can go to conversationswithmyfutureskills.com. You can also download this episode on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're enjoying the show, please rate and review it as it helps other listeners finding it. See you next time.